Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of our podcast series, Praying Together at Home, a guide to the daily office. I am Deacon Gray Hodston, curate at San Jose Episcopal Church, and your guide through these offices. So, in the last episode, we heard a short introduction to the daily offices, as well as some history behind the offices and how they evolved into their present form in the 1979 Book of Common Prayer. In this episode, we are now going to look specifically at the major offices of morning prayer and evening prayer. And I'll seek to answer questions like, what do their various components mean? And how do we pray these two offices with others and also by ourselves? Now, just a quick quiz from last week. Do we ever truly pray the daily offices by ourselves? And the answer, of course, is no. Even when we pray these offices, when we are physically distant from others, we are always praying together with the rest of the church. Before we turn our attention to uh, the daily office lectionary in just a moment, and then to morning and evening prayer specifically, I want to tell you about a couple of resources that you can use to pray the offices, and also resources you can use uh, to follow along uh, with this podcast. Uh, the first one is the most obvious, and that is the printed 1979 Book of Common Prayer. Uh, but in addition to the prayer book, there is also something called a contemporary office book, which I personally love because it's a book devoted solely to the offices. Uh, so in this contemporary office book, um, you'll find all the offices in it. And with that, you'll have all the readings and psalms organized according to the two-year cycle of readings that go with the offices. The downside is that this book costs some money, so it is an investment. Uh, so if you don't want to do that now, um, there are ways to access these services online. Um, and you can go to bcponline.org, which is an online copy of the prayer book, uh, basically page for page, word for word. Another good online resource for the daily offices specifically comes from Forward Movement. Uh, this is the same group that publishes Forward Day by Day, if you're familiar with that. So if you go to prayer.forwardmovement.org, again, that's prayer.forwardmovement.org, and then go up to the menu, uh, you'll see one section that says daily prayer. And so if you hover your uh, mouse over that, you can see uh, several different options. And in those options, you can access morning and evening prayer that way. Um, and you can also access the readings for the day as well. And there are also some great apps for your phone as well. Um, one is the ECP app or Electronic Common Prayer. 
this has the whole prayer book on an app for your phone. And then there is also an app called Mission St. Clair, and that's spelled C-L-A-R-E. Again, that's Mission St. Clair. And this is a, a really good and easily accessible app devoted specifically to the daily offices. The one thing about uh, both Forward Movement and Mission St. Clair is that they, they choose certain elements of the service for you instead of you choosing them for yourself. Uh, so there are some pros and cons, um, but uh, all of these are resources available to you for, for praying the offices. So I, I just recommend that you find one option or a combination of options that work best for you. Now, before we look at morning and evening prayer, we must first look at another important component to the daily offices, and that is the daily office lectionary. So if you are aware, we have a Sunday lectionary, uh, which comes from the revised common lectionary that determines what set readings we read each Sunday. Uh, it's not some arbitrary process or something that we choose, uh, but this is a system that we as the Episcopal Church overall, as well as some other denominations, follow. And this Sunday lectionary is a three-year cycle of readings. So every three years, we start the cycle over again and again. And maybe this is something you already know. But what some of you may not know is that there is another separate lectionary for each day, appropriately called the Daily Office Lectionary. And this is found in your prayer books on pages 933 through 1001. So if you've gone to pick up a prayer book now or have one handy, turn to that section uh, beginning on page 933 and you can flip through the directions and the lectionary itself. So how does this lectionary work? Well, unlike the three-year Sunday lectionary cycle, the daily office lectionary is a two-year cycle that covers far more scripture than the three-year Sunday lectionary. So even though you may think that we hear most of Scripture on Sundays, and we certainly do hear a good portion over three years, there is so much that is not covered. And while the daily lectionary doesn't go through all of it, it encompasses far more and does so mostly in sequence. And you'll see if you look through the cycle that year one's readings are on the left, while year two's readings are on the pages on the right. And it all begins in Advent, just like the church year, and goes through that entire calendar of the church year. Now, if you look at any page of the lectionary, let's say, for example, uh, page 936, under the header that reads the first week of Advent, 
and then go down on the left-hand side to Monday, you'll see two separate sets of numbers listed above the readings, separated by uh, this cross with four little dots in the middle. These numbers are the appointed psalms for the day. The numbers to the left of the cross are the psalms appointed for morning prayer, and the psalms to the right of the cross are the psalms appointed for evening prayer. Below that, you will see three readings appointed for each day. And you'll notice that the rubrics say that one or two lessons are read. So from the three readings given for each day, there is a reading, uh, one reading from the Old Testament, and then there are also two readings from the New Testament, one of which is from the Gospels and the other from outside of the four Gospels. And if you were to do two readings instead of one, one of those two readings has to be an Old Testament reading. All three lessons you can absolutely read in one office if you wish, which can be especially good if you do one office a day. And if you want to get into the practice of doing both morning and evening prayer each day, there are some very helpful instructions for how to divvy up the readings between morning and evening prayer in the directions for the daily office lectionary on page 934, which is the beginning of that section on the lectionary I just mentioned. Now, what this two-year lectionary cycle does not include are the readings for the major and lesser feast days. So if it is a feast day for a particular saint, you can swap the prescribed office readings uh, for that day for that particular saint. Um, so you'll just have to look these readings up if you want to use them instead of the lectionary readings. Uh, there are several different books that have been published uh, to mark the feasts and fasts of the church, along with uh, readings with those. And I'll be happy to point you to those if you'd like. Uh, but for at least right now, my personal recommendation is that if you want to know if it is a feast day or when a feast day will occur, you can use uh, either of the apps I mentioned earlier, and they will tell you, or you can go to lectionarypage.net which gives you a whole calendar of the church year with Sundays and major feasts, along with a link near the bottom of the page for other feasts, fasts, and commemorations. So now that we've looked at the Daily Office Lectionary and its two-year cycle of readings, as well as some resources for praying the offices, let's direct our focus now to the services of morning and evening prayer. I will guide you through the entire service of morning prayer, offering some commentary along the way, and then I will note just a few important features that distinguish evening prayer from its morning counterpart. 
So if you have a Book of Common Prayer handy and you aren't driving around, then now would be a great time to hit pause on this podcast and either retrieve the physical copy of the book or go to bcponline.org. And in the left-hand column, you will see a uh, daily office uh, header as the fourth option down on the list. Or you can follow along using the ECP app I mentioned just a minute ago. And if you are driving or you just can't get to a copy at the moment, uh, that's fine. Um, don't worry about following along with the service right now. You can pick up uh, a Book of Common Prayer and go through these services later. So first, if you flip through the daily office section of your prayer book, you'll see Morning and Evening Prayer 1 and Morning and Evening Prayer 2. And the reason for this is that just like with the Holy Eucharist, these major offices are given in both Rite 1, which is in traditional language, and Rite 2, which is in more contemporary language. For the purposes of this podcast, uh, we will look primarily at the Rite 2 language, but I will occasionally refer to elements unique to Rite 1. Um, so I certainly encourage you to look through those on your own and to even use them in your prayer life if you prefer. So now turn to page 74, which is the section titled Concerning the Service for Morning Prayer Rite 2. Again, this is page 74, and, and you can hit pause for a moment just to get there if you need. This page just offer, offers a few important directions about the service, and these should not be overlooked. There are also additional directions on page 141. So some important notes from these directions which apply more to group and public offerings of the offices and less so if you're doing this on your own. Uh, first, the term efficient is the standard term we use to denote the person who leads the office. So it doesn't matter if you are ordained or not, uh, this same title of efficient applies. Second, you'll see that when used in a group setting, it is appropriate to have another person or persons assigned to read the lessons and to do any other parts of the service not assigned to the efficient. And I'll commend you to look through the other directions on your own because there's a lot of uh, uh, important notes in there. But let's now go through the service of morning prayer beginning on page 75. So if you are on page 75, Look below the title at the top of the page, and the first things you'll see are some italicized directions, uh, commonly called rubrics. If you will pay attention to these throughout the service, uh, these rubrics will basically tell you how to use these services and allow you to navigate them on your own. So I won't go through all of the rubrics now, but if you are unsure of something, Chances are, the rubrics will give you an answer. So again, looking at page 75, these first rubrics direct us 
to begin the service with one or more of the following sentences of scripture, or to begin with the versicle, Lord, open our lips, which is on page 80. So what you are seeing here is that there are basically three ways you can start morning prayer. You can start with a scripture sentence, as you can see here. Then you can do the general confession and then go to that opening versicle. Or you can do a scripture sentence and then do the versicle and skip the confession. Or you can just begin the service with the versicle. So those are really your three options to begin. Personally, I like to do all three, but it, it really depends on your preference and, and you can change it up as you wish day to day. So you'll see on this page and through the next three pages, a host of scripture sentences, some denoted for particular seasons and holy days and others suitable for any time. You can use any of these sentences, even regardless of their association to a particular day or season, any day you desire. But it's really most fitting to use an opening sentence that fits with the psalm and the readings prescribed for that day. So this is something I'd really think about more if I were planning this as a public service, uh, but, but even on your own, knowing what the readings are going to be, uh, allows you to then shape the service around that. Next, on page 79, we get to the confession of sin. And you'll see right away that there are two options. Isn't it always nice when the prayer book gives us options? And the first option is obviously much longer than the first. So of these two uh, biddings to the confession, which one are we to use? Well, either is perfectly fine. Now, as for whether you or not you should do the confession at all, since it is optional, I really recommend that you find your own pattern. Um, I, I personally do it more often than not. Um, and at the very least, I would suggest doing it in penitential days and seasons like Advent and Lent, or on Fridays to remember Good Friday and other such days. Um, but again, I think, I think it's better to do it more often um, because we are sinners and we should reflect on our sins and confess them to God. You'll notice before the confession, another rubric that is often overlooked, which states that silence may be kept. And while it says may, I would strongly encourage you to observe that silence, to recall those sins you know that you've committed or partaken in. Because confessing sins without taking any, any time to recall the sins we've done, I think really makes this a more shallow exercise. Um, Bishop J. Neal Alexander, my former dean at Sewanee, says that the confession does not begin with the first line of the text but begins with the silence that precedes it. Following the confession, you'll see the absolution. And this is where we see a difference between if the officiant is 
uh, say a bishop or a priest, versus a deacon or a layperson. Because if the bishop or priest is officiating, they will stand and pronounce the absolution as it is written here. But if it is a deacon or a layperson, uh, say if you are a layperson doing this uh, by yourself at home or with a group, uh, you will um, swap all instances of you for us and all instances of your for our, uh, as it says in the rubric following this absolution. So why the difference? Well, this has to do with the role of a bishop or a priest. They are set aside and given authority to pronounce the forgiveness of sins that God has promised all who are penitent. Uh, for me as a deacon uh, and all laity, uh, we serve a different role in the community. And so we appeal to God for that forgiveness. And uh, a note about gestures here, I think, is important too. Um, because it is a frequent practice, um, though never requ required, to make the sign of the cross over yourself at the words, forgive you all your sins. Um, and this uh, sign of the cross is a physical reminder of our baptism, that through baptism, our sins, uh, we have been given the promise of the forgiveness of our sins. So again, it's not required, but again, it's an act of personal piety, and you can choose how to, to use those gestures on your own. Now, following the absolution, we come to the section titled the Invitatory and Psalter which is the last place that you can begin morning prayer. Here, the officiant says or sings the words, Lord, open our lips, and then the congregation responds in like manner, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. And then together, everyone says or sings the following words of the Gloria Patri. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This is followed here by an Alleluia, except in Lent. Now, this doxology, this Gloria Patri, occurs frequently in the offices. You see it here at the beginning. You'll see it soon after the Psalms. And you'll also see it after some of the canticles to come, reminding us constantly of the endless and eternal glory of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Many uh, choose to bow their heads to respect the Trinity here, though again, this is a matter of personal piety and preference. Then you will see the next directions or rubrics, which say, then follows one of the invitatory psalms, uh, Venite, also known as Venite, or Jubilate. And if you turn the page, you'll see these two invitatory psalms together. Now, either the Venite or Jubilate is appropriate for most any time, although the Venite is often the more regularly used of the two. And in a group setting, uh, this psalm is, is usually sung or said by everyone together. 
You will also see a number of antiphons that can be used before and after either invitatory psalm on pages 80 through 82. Uh, these antiphons are basically additional lines of text that can frame these psalms and ground them to a particular day or season. So if you wanted to use one of these antiphons, you would say the antiphon before reciting the venite or jubilate, and then repeat it again at the end. On the next page, you'll see another text titled Christ Our Passover, also known as the Pascha Nostrum. Just note that this replaces the venite and jubilate in Easter week, and it may continue to be used until Pentecost. Now turn to the next page, which is page 84 in the prayer book, and you'll see that next come the Psalms, followed by the readings. Now, as you heard at the beginning of this episode, this is where the Psalm or Psalms appointed for morning prayer on that day are read. And this is where the Forward Movement website, along with the apps I mentioned earlier, are especially helpful because they give you that day's appointed psalms and readings for you. But if you don't want to use an electronic resource, uh, I don't blame you. Um, and again, the contemporary office book is a great purchase. Or you can simply use your prayer book and Bible. Just check the daily office lectionary in the back of the prayer book and find the psalms and readings for that day. And then you can flip back in your prayer book and find the appointed psalms in the Psalter, which is printed in its entirety in the Book of uh, Common Prayer, beginning on page 585. And then for the readings, you can use your Bible. And maybe there are other resources out there that I don't know about or that I, I don't really use that much, um, but you can look and, and maybe find something to help you navigate the offices and lectionary um, new resources come out all the time, so I encourage you to do your own uh, investigating. Now, let's again look in our prayer books where we left off on page 84, and you'll see for the Psalms a rubric that directs us to always conclude the Psalm with the same following doxology. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. You may have noticed that this is the same doxology that comes after the opening versicle, and again, it is sung or said here after the psalm. So when you are praying the offices by yourself, you will probably find the easiest way to do it is just to, to read and pray the psalms through yourself. But in doing uh, these offices with others, there are several options. First, an important but often forgotten aspect of the Psalms is that they were originally meant to be sung. I mean, these are the hymns of the Hebrew scriptures. And at many points in our Christian history, they were the part of the service required to be sung above all else. But even so, Sometimes it makes sense to read them with others. And there are some really good directions on how to recite the Psalms 
um, in your prayer book on pages 582 and 583. And so I, I really commend those to you to read. Now, picking up again on page 84, following the Psalms, we get to the lessons. Once again, I'll refer you back to the earlier section on the lectionary for how to find the readings for a particular day. But a few things to note here on page 84. When this is done in a group or public setting, the designated reader will introduce each lesson by saying a reading from blank or a lesson from such and such. And the reader can then conclude the lessons uh, one of two ways. He or she can conclude with the same words that we hear at the end of the readings at the Eucharist, which are the word of the Lord with the people's response, thanks be to God. Or the reader can conclude the lesson by saying simply, here ends the lesson, or here ends the reading. After each reading comes these selections of scripture called canticles that are either sung or said by the whole assembly after each reading, unless otherwise noted. So with one reading, there is one canticle, and with two readings, there are two canticles. And even when all three readings are read, there are still just two canticles with the gospel reading following the second canticle, which is then followed by the Apostles' Creed. So if you look from pages 85 through 96, you will see a myriad of different canticles to choose from, with texts that come from both the Old and New Testaments. So how do you decide which ones to use? Well, the answer here is less defined. There is flexibility to read whatever two canticles you would like between the readings. But if you look on page 144 in your prayer book, you'll see that uh, the prayer book recommends a distribution of canticles over the days of the week, plus some additional recommendations for Lent. So you can really choose your own pattern if you'd like, but the pattern here in the prayer book works quite well if you want to follow that. There are also a number of musical settings of the canticles, including those found in our hymnal 1982, which are uh, wonderful for singing in group settings, but you can, you can even use them on your own too. So when you are by yourself, you will simply read the canticles through entirely yourself, or sing them, of course. And when you are with others, you can sing them together as an assembly, or read them through in unison. And if you wish, you can actually swap the right two canticles for the right one canticles, and likewise swap the right one canticles for right two. Any of that is perfectly acceptable. Now, turning to the next section on page 96, we have the Apostles' Creed, which, if you don't know, um, it's just a little bit different from the Nicene Creed you hear each Sunday. It's a bit shorter, but it is the other principal creed of our church. Now, there are times when the Apostles' Creed can be omitted here from the office, um, and you can read in the additional directions when uh, those um, 
omissions are permitted. But generally, it really should be included in the service uh, to serve as a consistent profession of faith. Another remark about gesture, some will cross themselves when saying the resurrection of the dead. Uh, and they do this as another act of personal piety. Uh, this is, of course, optional, but again, done as a reminder of our baptism. And here, it is a reminder that because of our baptism, we too will share in the resurrection. Now then, in the next part of the office, we get to the prayers. And the prayers begin here with the salutation and the people's response, as we so often see. And then comes the prayer that comes from Jesus himself, the Lord's Prayer. And as you can see, there are two forms listed here. The traditional form, which is still used more often, but also a contemporary form. And you can use either as you would like. Following the Lord's Prayer are the suffrages, which are these responsorial prayers. And as you can see, there are two options, A and B. Uh, both uh, options are acceptable at, at any time, uh, though A is the more common set. And just a note for those doing these by yourself, you can just say the whole thing through on your own. And then we get to the next part of the prayers, the collects. Now, have you ever wondered why collects are, are called collects? Well, it's actually quite practical. A collect is just that, a way to collect all of our prayers into one common prayer together. And as it says in the rubric, you can say one or more of the following collects here. So there's no limit. The first option available is the collect for the day, which is the prescribed collect, usually from the previous Sunday, and it goes through the entire week. And if you are praying in office on a feast day, there are also collects available for that particular day, which you can find online or via one of the aforementioned apps. And then you can see a number of other collects here um, that pertain to specific days of the week, and also collects for things like renewal of life, peace, and guidance. So after praying one or more of those collects, we come to the prayers for mission on pages 100 through 101. One of these prayers is to be prayed unless Eucharist is to follow. And you can see that there are three choices here, any of which are acceptable at any time, though you may find one of them more fitting on a particular day or at a particular time. Everything after this in the service is optional. You'll see the second rubric after the prayers for mission notes that authorized intercessions and thanksgivings may follow. So this is an opportunity for you to really offer your own particular prayers as you wish, silently or aloud. And so even in the context of this set service structure, 
There is freedom for you to add your own particular concerns and thanksgivings to God. It is then standard practice to pray either the general thanksgiving or the prayer of St. Chrysostom, or even say both if you wish. Now, as a personal aside, I think the general thanksgiving is just a wonderful prayer, and it's one of my favorite parts of the service. The service may then conclude with the prescribed blessing and then one of the three concluding sentences. And again, um, it's an act of personal piety that some choose to cross themselves uh, during one of those three uh, concluding sentences. Now, for all of these last components of the service, um, you may feel more natural doing these with others, and it may seem strange to do them on your own. So there really is some flexibility here on what you can include and not include as you wish. And that is really one of the great things about the offices, that there is a rhythm and consistency to them, but within them is a range of options to suit days and occasions, and even your own preferences. And so now, before we conclude today, I have just a few short notes on evening prayer. So if you would like to turn in your prayer books to page 115, you can flip through this service and see all those components for yourself. And basically, it, it follows the same structure as morning prayer, with occasionally some different words and options to suit the evening rather than the morning. For example, you'll see sentences of scripture at the beginning, which differ from those in morning prayer. The invitatory here contains different words as well. So where morning prayer says, Lord, open our lips with the accompanying response, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. Here in evening prayer, we have the words, O God, make speed to save us. And the response, O Lord, make haste to help us. Then on page 118, we see that in place of the invitatory psalms at morning prayer, the Venite in Jubilate, is a hymn text known as the Phos Hilaron, or O Gracious Light. There are some wonderful musical settings to these words in the hymnal, uh, but you can also replace this with some other suitable hymn or uh, invitatory song like the Venite or Jubilate if you'd like. We then have, as in morning prayer, the appropriate psalms and readings appointed for that day. And then when we get to the canticles, you will notice something different. So where at morning prayer, there are a, a host of choices, here at evening prayer, there are only two, the Magnificat and the Nunc Dimittis. The rubrics do allow um, any of those canticles from morning prayer to be used here in evening prayer if you wish. But these two canticles, the Magnificat and Nunc Dimittis, um, uh, which are the in English known as the Song of Mary, and the Song of Simeon. These are the ones that are customary for every service of evening prayer. The service continues on 
again, similar to morning prayer with different forms and words for the suffrages, collects, and prayers for mission, and then the same options to conclude the office. And so I, I really encourage you to read through and pray these beautiful prayers today uh, or, or some other time on your own. Um, again, some of my favorite prayers come not only in the offices, but in evening prayer as well. Uh, one last thing I want to um, commend to you is that if you want to see a service of morning prayer done from beginning to end, and you want to see it done in a familiar space, at least one familiar to those of you who are parishioners at San Jose, then I would recommend that you go to our YouTube channel, uh, San Jose Episcopal Church. And if you find that channel, then go to videos, one of the um, headers at the top of the menu, and then scroll down to find the video that says Eighth Sunday After Pentecost, Morning Prayer Rite 2, which is from July 26th. Some of you may have already been a part of that service and seen it, and you may want to watch it again. And others of you may not have seen it. But this is a service of morning prayer done from beginning to end, with particular choices made um, based on uh, musical settings and and events and other things that we wanted to to show forth on that day. So so that's one example for you that I recommend you go and 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 see, uh, or you can look up many other different options of people doing the office together. So this concludes our second episode in our series. Thank you for joining me in looking through the daily office lectionary through some resources that you can use uh, for praying the offices, and then in going through the services of morning and evening prayer together. In the next episode, we will take a look at the other offices, noonday prayer, an order of worship for the evening, and Compline. And then in our last episode, we will look at what the offices mean for us now and how the offices can enrich your prayer life in this time and beyond. May God's peace be with each, each of you this week. Thank you again for joining us for this episode. The sources for this episode were primarily the Book of Common Prayer, 1979, and Celebrating Liturgical Time by Bishop J. Neal Alexander.